last time we met, we were at the lawyer's office because you didn't even have a an office set up at that time. How have the last six months been? What's been happening, Rohit? Thank you, and great to great to be back, and thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I was just thinking back to when we last spoke, and very early on in the one FF journey, I think first team members had just started. As you mentioned, we didn't have an office at that time, so we're working out of our lawyer's office. Yeah, and you know, the last um, six plus months have been have been really full on, like in a really exciting way. I think getting to work on you know something that feels like a culmination of your life's work uh, and things that you know is just like the perfect blend of everything that I would have wanted to do as a child growing up um, into like a into a startup that's really what we think is like a really ambitious different fun project to work on has been amazing getting to do that with just an incredible group of people as well as you mentioned we kind of just launched a week or two ago um, publicly in terms of announcing what we're doing we were very intentional about being quiet and being in stealth uh, for the last few months which was actually enjoyable to just be heads down and sort of focus on, on building this but yeah, now we're, um, you know, just ready to share everything that we've kind of been building and launch 1FF into the world. Congrats. And what a launch it's been. Does this startup, both you and your co-founder are serial founders, does this startup feel different? It's a really good question. Yeah, I, I would say it feels very, like, I, I think a big learning lesson um, from the previous startup, which from my perspective was like, it was a good idea, but it definitely wasn't something that wasn't in an industry that I felt deeply passionate about. I felt passionate about the problem and the people that we were trying to help. It was in fashion tech. But as I mentioned, this is everything that I wanted to do growing up. Uh, one of my friends from high school. So uh, maybe I should layer what, what 1FF is as well. So we're um, essentially building a global football competition designed for the new generation of fans. So we've got 12 teams located all over the world that play against each other. But instead of having real people kicking around a football inside a stadium, we've got 250 uh, plus CGI generated characters that all have their own looks and names and attributes and personalities and backstories that uh, compete in these matches. We create a broadcast product that's designed for the way that, you know, the younger generation in particular are changing the ways that they consume content. So shorter, sharper, more narrative highlight and storyline driven content. And then we create mechanisms that allow fans to have much more deeper engagement in the sport they love. So they have ownership of players and teams and those sorts of things so they can get involved in a, in a deeper level. And so, again, anyone that's kind of like known me for a long time, but I'm a huge football fan. When I was in high school, one of my friends actually sent through a document from when I was in like grade 10. We didn't have a school football competition. And so I created one from scratch. And there's this document that has all the fixtures and teams and teachers that I'd convinced to to, you know, give up their lunch times to like referee matches and all of those sort of things. So yeah, it's, it's incredible to kind of go full circle and, you know, be able to work on, you know, something that I spend all of my time doing otherwise and getting to do that with like an incredible group of people as well. That is so cool. I love that you already did this as a child and you're doing it more formally and in a bigger way as an adult. What was the unique insight that led you to launch on FF? Yeah. So um, it actually came from an article in the BBC that Pete, my co-founder read, and, you know, the article stated that the most interesting football clubs in the US were, well, kits were designed around clubs that didn't really exist. So essentially people were creating all of these e-commerce and merchandise stores to create really different and unique types of merch. And, you know, again, for anyone that's a football fan knows how just having like a really cool and different kit that kind of has a bit of a story around it shows off a little bit about your personality and, you know, your interests and those sort of things. It sort of led to, well, instead of making up stories and like meaning around this, what if there was actually other teams that you competed against that you were sort of building up from scratch. And if that happened, like how would that work? And, you know, sort of things sort of cascaded off the, off the back of that. But yeah, I guess the initial inspiration sort of came from, you know, um, how do you create something that's kind of really sort of different and unique and that kind of like engages fans within football and within sports in a, in a very different way. It's going to be game changing because 
now also 1FF allows fans to have a bit of ownership and control of their favourite teams. Teams and players. So, you know, I think one of the really interesting things that we're trying to change is the different ways that fans can engage with sports. So, again, I'm a huge Liverpool fan, which being based in Australia means that I regularly have to wake up at 2.30, 4.30 in the morning to watch them play. You know, I've travelled to the UK for less than 48 hours to go and watch them play. And, like, you know, I think I'm a huge fan, but there's no way of me really sort of signifying my fandom or real sort of engagement aside from my mood changing based on whether they win or lose. But, you know, as, as you know, being mass football fans, we wanted to kind of create a model where there's much more kind of deeper connection between the fans and, and the favourite players and clubs. And so essentially what we're trying to build outside of this kind of core broadcast is changing the way that fans can engage with sport. And so there's three main ways. So one is that they can follow along with their favourite teams and players and buy kits as they do with what we call stadium football, which is the way that, that most fans kind of engage with sport at the moment. The second layer is because our players don't exist in the real world, they don't need a garage full of Ferraris or they don't luxury penthouse. But the idea is that, you know, we are able to kind of create these these players to have their own social media presences and we're already kind of talking to brands about creating endorsement deals for these virtual players and, and those sorts of things and you know if you ask any fan of football or any other sport a lot of them talk about you know in the same way that you would say i knew about this band before it became really cool and different we want fans to be able to say i knew that this player was going to be incredible based on how i saw him play or his analysis on his stats and those sorts of things but there's no real way of kind of connecting onto that and so for each of the players in our league we have ten thousand player cards that we release the fans will be able to buy via packs Whenever they play in matches, they earn points and they can then use those points to then train those particular players, you know, unlock particular sort of trophies and mints and those sorts of things when they perform in-game performances that they can sort of add to their own profile. And, you know, even things like when a contract expires and the team in, uh, you know, the team in um, Manhattan is offering more money, but the team in Tokyo has an open spot and they're more likely to play and develop as an asset. We want the fans to be able to decide almost as the player's agent would what happens to that particular what happens to that particular player and what's the best sort of career path for them to, to take uh, as, a, uh, as a result of that. And the third layer, as you mentioned, is, is the clubs themselves. And so I'm not sure how much you or your sort of fans are familiar with how ownership of football teams works, but essentially, especially if you look at something like the Premier League, the majority of teams are kind of owned by sovereign wealth funds or by billionaire owners. We've got uh, you know, a team like Chelsea that sold for $200 million 20 years ago. They sold for $4.3 billion um, last year. And uh, a big sort of value of that club is built off the global fan base that's been created. But the fans just go from, you know, this customer through that entire transaction. They go from one, one billionaire owner to another without really having a deeper connection to that club. And if anything, that divide is getting bigger and bigger over time. And so what we've done is kind of flip that model a little bit and so, sort of said, how can we get fans more involved and, and engaged in that club? And so we've got, you know, for each of the clubs in our league, we've got different ownership groups and structures. So we have, you know, uh, a certain percentage that we sort of carve out on behalf of fans that we convert into 100 million club credits that fans can either earn through performing actions like watching matches or by buying those credits directly. We have a couple of what we call ambassador owners. These are sort of A-list athletes and celebrities and, and influencers from each of these markets that are kind of, you know, connected to that particular team and sort of invested at a, at a relatively sort of micro level. And then, you know, the intention is that we have majority owners that, that come in as well. And we've got two already in place. And the idea is that they're the ones that then, you know, as happens in any other sporting sporting code around the world or sporting team, uh, they're the ones that are responsible for investment, managing the social media of these accounts, those sorts of things, and sort of operating the, the football club as you would any other club. Such an incredible model. I can imagine that it's going to create really, really tuned in fans all over the world. How has this process been in terms of getting on investors, getting on celebrities like Naomi Osaka and Kyrgios and more, um, and also first employees and the first fans of 1FF. You know, I, I think 
on my podcast, I had Nikki Skivak, who funnily enough is one of the lead investors, what well, is the lead investor in, in 1FF by Blackbird. And one of the things that he and I think Will Richardson, giant lead funder, also mentioned when I've spoken to them on, on the podcast is like the importance of having something with like a very big vision, because what it just means is that it attracts the right type of people and talent and like resources around you. And, you know, I would say like fundraising is, is hard and the process wasn't wasn't easy. It's not like everyone we spoke to said yes. But, you know, again, we were in a pretty fortunate position that I guess what we were trying to do seemed and sounded ridiculous enough that, that you know, if we pulled it off and, and you know, I guess people understand how big sports and football and, and things like that is as a global market. And so I guess from an investment perspective, you know, we were pretty fortunate to have a lot of kind of aligned investors that we also had, you know, relationships with before that, that definitely helped in building trust in, you know, having this ridiculous idea, but then kind of trusting us to be able to execute on that. And I think in, in a similar way, you know, a lot of the, the athletes that we've got involved this early on, you know, I think a lot of them see the, the future of, kind of sports and engagement. A lot of athletes in general are, are thinking about, you know, diversifying and kind of thinking about things beyond just their career. And also, you know, see a lot of the potential of what we're trying to do, which is, you know, obviously there is the broadcast of trying to create this league, but there's also an opportunity for us to do um, a lot of kind of deeper things around that. Like we get to design the storylines and the backstories of these players. And there are things that, you know, you wouldn't normally hear or see addressed because as individuals, it's, it, you know, it's difficult in football to kind of come out and stand for particular things and have to go away to an away ground to probably be abused for, for a lot of those sort of things. And so, you know, there are things that we can kind of pull on. There's kind of deeper things that we can do with charities and, and those sorts of things as well. So yeah, like there's just a, a tremendous amount of opportunity that we sort of create, not to mention, you know, a big part of this and, you know, related to your podcast as well is about representation. And so in, in football, you kind of speak to any, any football club and they say the best thing that we can do um, to grow our fan base in the Southeast Asia is to sign a player that comes from there and becomes one of our star players. And um, it's just, it's not impossible, but it's so difficult for that to happen because of talent identification pathways and those sorts of things. And it's, it's just really difficult to kind of manufacture that. But I guess one of the really big appeals for us is we know that there are football fans everywhere. Um, and often they just, you know, from a lot of the conversations we have, they just don't support local teams or clubs because there's nothing that kind of really represents or is the quality that they feel kind of competes on a global level. And so by having, you know, not only our teams being located all over the world where these fans exist, but also having our players coming from 88 different countries and having these kind of deeper backstories and, you know, things that represent more than what you would traditionally hear about in, in sport just helps kind of connect all of those pieces. And I think coming back to the original question, like I, I think that sort of attracts a lot of the, the right type of people. And, you know, it's been one of those things where even though we've been very quiet publicly, we've obviously had a lot of these kind of conversations happening in the background. And it's actually been really interesting to see how willing people have been able to kind of help open doors and get involved in things like that very early on, even when we didn't really have much to, to show people beyond an idea and kind of like very early sketches of, of things. So yeah, and you know that that obviously sort of translates out to to the team as well. You know, we've, we the one decision that we had around whether we announce our funding a little bit earlier than we intended to launch was, you know, will it help us attract the right type of talent early on, and do we sort of need to do that? Thankfully, we were just able to find a great group of people that we either worked with before or had come through our networks. You know, I was able to kind of post out on social media and kind of tease some things about what we're doing without really being like hyper specific. And again, as I mentioned, we were just very, very fortunate to have just and like the perfect group of people to, to be able to work with without having to, to be public. And so Carl, for example, who was our first employee, he 
was working at Champion Data for 15 years, has two young kids, like everything that you would say are the reasons not to join an early stage startup. But for him, this was an opportunity as, you know, someone who is one of the like leaders within his, his industry was an opportunity to kind of build something from scratch that like hasn't been done before. And that's really sort of exciting and, and compelling. And so there's not a lot of opportunities that you kind of get to do things like that. And yeah, it's just a matter of like right place, right time and trying to convince people that, that it's worth it. But so far it's, it's worked out. You're probably too humble to say this, but I think yourself and Pete as the founders of this also have some clout and the ability to bring on that incredible culture that you want to build. So it's the vision, it's the team, and it's the big, big ambition and goals you're chasing and the absolute passion you have for it, which I think is incredible. How do you think this is going to change the future of football? Um, We've seen like Ryan Reynolds invest in Wrexham and completely shake things up. I feel like 1FF is going to do an even bigger bigger job of that. What do you think football is going to look like in even five years' time? That's a great question. You know, I don't think that, that we necessarily replace what we call stadium football, so what, what people's experience of football is, which is watching real people kicking around a football inside a stadium. We don't think that, like, 1FF is necessarily going to replace that fully, but in the same way that people choose to watch the Premier League or La Liga or Serie A, like, we think that... There's no reason why um, people won't connect with 1FF in the, in the same way that they do and kind of connect with the players in the same way. You know, there's 2 million people that got walked through the turnstiles and got to experience a, a Premier League match in person. And, you know, so much of the core footballing product is based around a very specific sliver of Western Europe where the majority of these football leagues are based. But there are 2 billion, you know, Premier League fans that watch from somewhere else. And for the most part, you know, again, I, like I'm a... Uh, like I would class my, myself as a huge fan and I get to go to Liverpool, but that's like once, maybe maybe if I'm lucky once a season to watch uh, like one or two games. For the majority of people, they just never get that opportunity. And so for the most part, their experience of watching their favourite teams and players and all of these sort of things are built around watching things on screens at odd hours of the night. And so what we think is probably a, a different um, opportunity that we have is that because we have the flexibility of building this, you know, world's first global football league, you know, we, we can have teams that, you know, people don't have to, like, I don't have a strong connection or affiliation to Liverpool as a city. I just, like, fell in love with a particular player, Michael Owen, when I was much younger. And, you know, as a result, kind of saw the, the team and have just, you know, connected on and, and latched onto to the team for the last, like, 20, 25 years. But, you know, by having teams that are located around the world, like, I think what we're trying to do is create a, a mechanism and a vehicle for people to have a, a real deeper sort of connection around a team that actually is representative of them and also has an opportunity to compete at a global level. Like, you know, speaking to fans in, football fans in Jakarta, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of them are huge fans of the Premier League. Just no one watches the, you know, not a lot of people uh, watch the sort of local local leagues because they believe, you know, going to the stadiums is really unsafe. The quality of football isn't, isn't quite the same and, and those sorts of things. And so when we told them that actually there's going to be a team called Intimus Antara that's, that's based in uh, Jakarta, and you're going to have a bunch of like some of the best players in the league coming from Indonesia and that part of the world. They got really excited and, you know, it's, it's a way for them to kind of connect and uh, all those sort of things in a, in a very different way. So it's it's not quite the same in football. And there are particular things that obviously we, we can't do that stadium football can. But there's also a ton of things that we can do that kind of creates a, ton, you know, a lot of kind of deeper sort of opportunities for, as I said, engagement and just different engagements between fans and, and the sport that they love. Our vision around this is that there are, eight football leagues around the world that generate a billion dollars in revenue each year. We want to be number nine and climb that list. And then hopefully one day sort of, you know, compete with or take on or overtake the Premier League. We see ourselves as a, as a football league, first and foremost. It's just a, 
a different digital version and the first of its kind. And, you know, as I said, just trying to tap into not just the 2 million fans that live in a, you know, get to go and experience the football football matches in person, but really creating this for the 2 billion fans that exist from somewhere else and have a very different experience. And it may as well be something that's, you know, a lot closer to, to home for them. How do you think, actually, do you think it's going to change the ecosystem of football fandom? Do you think it's going to bring more people into the fold, get people passionate and fired up in ways they've never been fired up before? I mean, I would say like we hope so like time time will tell around this but you know i think that again if you like to take a step back from just football if you look at things like ted lasso drive to survive where again it's not just about watching a formula one race or watching a, a football club it's about how do you sort of connect with people on a deeper level and what are the storylines and why do you like care about that i think that there are so many like even just anecdotally speaking to a lot of women who just aren't into Formula One or aren't into football that just love Ted Lasso and love Drive to Survive, you know, as a sport and as a result, care more about the sport overall. You know, I think that that for us is is like a really big opportunity for us where because what fans and younger fans especially care about is, you know, not just kind of shorter, more condensed versions, but they care about the narratives and they care about the storylines and they care about what these players care about. And, you know, is it, does that align with them or does it not? And, you know, how does that kind of make you feel around particular things? And so, you know, that's, that is where we think is a real opportunity for us to, you know, again, not just engage with just traditional hardcore football fans, um, but how do we get them to care and buy into what we're trying to do in these players and get them to, like, be as invested into this as they are with, you know, characters off the, off the back of these shows. I think this is phenomenal because not only are you creating a new playground for sporting, you're also creating a media empire and a cultural shift along with it. So I can't wait to see what happens. And we're very early in the journey, but I think it's going to be a phenomenal shift and ready to witness it with a front seat. Is there anything else that you want to mention or tease or say to the potential 1FF fans out there? How do they get involved? How do they stay in touch there's there's a lot of things going on you know not everything that we've kind of shared but you know a bunch of our players for example have their own social media accounts and you know sort of regularly posting around not just things that are happening in matches but things around their lifestyle and their interests and and those sort of things and so yeah i would say like the easiest way to find out what it is that we're doing is to head over to 1ff.com where you'll find out kind of details about the players the clubs the the matches and, and those sorts of things and then obviously through there be able to kind of get involved in deeper ways as I mentioned through things like club credits and, and player cards and, and those sorts of things but yeah head over to 1ff.com that's kind of the, the central source for, for everything and you can sort of you know go through the, the rabbit holes to, to try and find all the different sort of layers of, of things that are involved and part of it is the discovery process how have the first six matches been when we launched we launched with our preseason, and you know a big part of the reason why we decided to remain in stealth and not really announce anything about what it is that we're doing and who's involved until we were ready to to launch with the preseason season one was because you know there are so many layers of this that it is kind of hard to grasp and hard to really get what it is that we're doing just through just through words or through text the best way for us to do that is to showcase our product and so yeah as part of the the brand launch that kind of went out and and the press and those sorts of things was launching our first six preseason games and it's been great to kind of see a lot of the feedback and engagement that we've seen off, off the back of that. And yeah, we're just pumped to launch with round one. We've got kind of everything set and ready to go and getting straight into season one. So very excited about it. Incredible. So exciting. So what does this mean for Startup Playbook Podcast and Ventures? When I left Amazon in, I think it was like March last year, 
I felt like I had this kind of roadmap and plan of, you know, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go full-time to the podcast and launch my, launch my kind of angel syndicate to more formally invest into companies alongside a great group of people. And that was kind of the plan and, and the roadmap. And then Pete came out and kind of came to me with this and starting another company again was not part of the plan at all. And my initial reaction was actually like, it's a very generous offer and thank you, but like, no, I, I know how difficult this is and I, I don't really want to jump into the seat again, but you know, off the back of that conversation, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And, you know, as I mentioned at the start, like this, for me, it's very rare to find something that I get this obsessed over, but also something that is so perfectly in line with everything. Like it almost feels like an eight year journey since my last startup to get to this point to kind of launch 1FF again, to be like in the right place, to, to find the right idea, right people, right group, right time. And like very hard to walk away from, from that. And so literally like two or three days after I said, no, I was like, all right, like I'm in, let's go. And part of that was kind of sense checking things with, with investors. And so we, you know, we raised around relatively quickly and then we're able to kind of move off the, off the back of that. But what that has meant is that, you know, some of the other things that I had originally planned, I've obviously had to take a little bit of a backseat. So I haven't published a podcast in quite a few months. I've recorded a few episodes. I've actually got an episode with Pete, which is going live or has gone live, depending on when this when this episode goes live of, of your show. I've got a few other episodes that I've sort of recorded as well. But obviously, you know, and and with the Angel Network, like we've, you know, in the last 12 months, we've made six investments. It's still up and running. We still, you know, are actively investing into early stage companies. And that's going really well. Just the only difference is that I've got a very close friend of mine, James Harrison, who was exiting out of his previous company and was looking for something new. And I just didn't have, you know, the time to run two and a half companies on, on my own. And so he runs that day to day. And obviously like I'm still involved from like investment committee perspective, but and, and still closely connected to it, but I'm not involved with that on a daily basis because all of my focus is obviously in, in sort of one FF. So yeah, those, those two things are still kind of operating. I've just had to like switch the cadence and switch the plans of something, which again, if you asked me like 18 months ago, whether anything would make you take a backseat from the podcast, I would have said, absolutely not. But you know, sometimes like life just throws things at you and it's it's just it's hard hard to say no in in the best possible way yes it's funny how life works out that way sometimes and it's funny you have to pivot in startups but like sometimes you have to pivot your decisions as well and most of the time having that flexibility leads to the best outcomes i think at the core it's just about trying to understand what it is that you really want with things so i think you know i was i was always open to starting a startup again but like having gone through that journey before it is really really tough and i would if it was any other idea i would have said no like i was very happy with where things were heading with with the podcast and with with the angel network and all those sort of things i'm still very like excited and bullish about both of those things it's just yeah like i said like i think it's very rare for me to find something that i'm like i could see myself doing this for the next 5 10 20 years depending on how things go you know with it and yeah when you kind of find something that that's that's rare that rare and that aligned to everything that you want to kind of spend your time doing like i said it's tough to tough to walk away from so yeah sometimes like you know part of that process is just kind of being, being open to the right sort of opportunities and you don't want to say yes to absolutely everything that comes across but when you feel something that feels absolutely right like it's it's worth exploring you feel it from your gut well congratulations what a massive few months it's been can't wait for what's to come next like imagine if we do this in every six months it's going to be a wildly different story every time but like success as it grows so congrats again and thank you so much for being on the startup palette show 
and look forward to watching all the incredible things 1FF does. Yeah, thank you for having me. And um, congratulations on putting the show together as well. I know what a grind in the process it is to, to launch a podcast series as well. So yeah, congrats on that. Like I know it's been a bit of a journey for you as well. You know, I think it's such an incredible mission that you're on. And yeah, thank you for having me and thank you for letting me share a little bit more about the 1FF story from the early conversation that we had as well. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Startup Power Show. If you had a blast listening to this episode, come on board and join our incredible cheer squad. Spread the startup love by sharing the episode with your friends, leave us a review, or drop us your valuable feedback, comments, or burning questions. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll shine the spotlight on another startup superstar. I'm Preeti Mohan, and I look forward to seeing you next time.